Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. another episode of the forgot my dice podcast i'm your host jonathan edwards and with me of course the unknown quantum state to my cat in the box mr robert lundgren how you doing uh, hello hello coming to you from the monday before election day yes indeed we are in an unknown quantum state right now and it'll I'd yes say that's a fair statement yeah yeah that's what i figured usually usually we'd make a joke about the the game we're playing but uh it this felt this felt especially important today because I've been trying to just not think about it all day, mostly because I've already voted by mail weeks ago because that's oh, what yeah, you do voted, out here in Oregon. I voted early uh, at this point almost three weeks ago. No sense in stressing right now, man. Just got to ride the wave. The only way out is through. But yes. Yep. Yes. Tomorrow's going to be a tense day, but that's future Jonathan problems. Let's talk about current Jonathan. <laughs> current Jonathan's a little bummed out. Yes. Because unfortunately, as of uh, yesterday, was it yesterday or Halloween day? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Regardless, in the last 48 hours, uh, Sean Connery has passed away. So uh, we're going to be dedicating a very special episode, 99, to Mr. Connery uh, for all of his contributions as the most problematic Bond in film history. Don't forget problematic actor and interviewer. Kind of problematic human. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it or not, Sean Connery left a, a, a legacy, uh, especially in in our neck of the woods, the uh, science fiction and fantasy genre. Yeah, no so, kidding. Thank you, Highlander. Right, right. So, um, in honor of the man, we are going to be watching the 1974 film classic Zardoz. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll have a very special non-numbered episode. Pampers and chest hair. That's what we're all about here. Yes. Non-numbered episode of No Time to Bond in honor of, of Sean Connery watching probably, well, no, it was not the worst film to come out of the 70s, but it's it's an interesting one. I, I've actually never seen it all the way through. I've seen bits of it here and there, uh, mostly on like, you know, channel five or 13 back in my ute. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I've got it on hold from the library. It, it's it's coming it's coming which means unfortunately we'll have to push off die another day until actually probably a, a episode 101 because i don't think we'll have time to bond on episode 100 just because we're getting so many questions so many questions that's a good problem to have yes so uh please try to get your questions in early because we've got enough that we're actually gonna start thinking about them early so we can like slam through them instead of doing our off-the-cuff nonsense and having a four-hour episode that we have to divide into like two parts or whatever nonsense but uh, yes, we will we will keep the questions open until uh, the Monday after episode ninety nine comes out. But yeah, if you po- post a question the Monday after episode ninety nine comes out, you are in danger of us not seeing it because that is the day we record. I want to give a quick thank you to all of our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the questionable movie, movie viewing and reviewing decisions up and going. So thank you, Patreons. Well, then, what day is it, Robert? Jonathan, from everybody to you, because uh, we, we, we might need them today. Jonathan, happy National Vanilla Cupcake Day. 
hey, oh, yeah, go I get, get behind this. This is something I could get behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get yourself some uh, some delicious baked goods, and none of that chocolate nonsense, my friend. Just, just, uh, yeah, just, just vanilla. Not a cupcake, but you know what the best vanilla ice cream I ever had was? It was over at Amy's. They do that Mexican vanilla every so often. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. No, no, it's a standard flavor now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's always there, and it is very good. If you you ever happen to be in the Austin, Texas area, go to Amy's Ice Cream and get yourself a cup of Mexican vanilla bean ice cream. It is amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of those local brands I miss very dearly. We do not have anything like it here. Although there's a, a nice little Mon Pa ice cream place uh, near my my house called Jim's, which ironically enough is uh, not run by Jim anymore. Uh, this nice lady bought Jim out a few years ago, so but we call her she, Jim. She retained it, Jim. Yes, she retains the Jim's ice cream, and we call her Jim because uh, I don't know. It's it, she probably gets that all the time, but she thinks it's funny. So <laughs> I did ask her. I'm like, I hate doing jokes that get done all the time, but do you find it amusing to be called Jim? And she said, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because the movie that we watched for No Time to Bond has a, a whole gag about name gags. Uh, yes, yes. We'll talk about that soon, though. Yes. All right, gang. Well, now it's time for our first segment, our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, televisions, and ears, and into our hearts. I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of overlap on movies and TV. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, so yeah, movies and TV. Um, I'll go first. I finished True Detective season three. Okay. Mahershala Ali is one of the finest actors alive right now. His performance in True Detective season three is riveting, jaw-dropping, cringe-inducing, tear-inducing, heartwarming. I just don't have enough nice things to say about him. And you know who else was like a huge surprise in that? Brad Dorf. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. I didn't know he had it in him. And in this, it's an Oscar-worthy performance. And I think it speaks more to Ali's talent that it is able to eclipse Brad Dorf's, or Stephen Dorf's, excuse me, why did I say Brad? I don't know. Steven Dorff's uh, performance, because Steven Dorff's performance is one of the finest things I've ever seen acted and, and well, well outside of what I thought he could he was possible uh, or I, what I thought he was capable of. It really is just amazing in every way, shape and form. And season one and three are both better than season two, simply because season two is very grim and lost hope. I would argue that there's portions of season two that were probably written better than than any either of the other seasons it's just that they they're they lose balance uh and and there's not enough hope in it you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well no actually because i never finished season two but i'll take your word for it well let me tell you true, true detective uh, it's up there with the wires one of the finest things ever put to film and season three is it is it is the true acting tour de force i i cannot recommend it highly enough a while ago my daughter, uh, she's been reading Ella Enchanted of late, and she was saying, you know, it'd be funny if there was like a movie or something about a Disney princess running around in the real world. That would be so funny. And I'm like, Ellen, that movie already exists. It's called Enchanted. I have never seen it, but it's at the local library. So we'll just rent it because why not? Because for whatever reason, it's not on Disney Plus yet. I don't get it, but whatever. Really? 
Yeah, it's not. I checked. It might be now because the month rolled over, but it wasn't at the time. I looked. I looked. That's fascinating, truly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is some of the old library. They're just co- sort of slowly getting it on because, you know, I'm assuming somebody has to, like, put the DVD in a thing and hit record. And uh, maybe they just haven't got around to it yet. I don't know. Or maybe it's out somewhere, contracts and blah. Who knows? But anyway, so we watched Enchanted. And I was just going to watch it because, you know, I thought the girl was going to like it. And I was captivated by that movie. Amy Adams completely obliterates that movie. It was, she was amazing to watch like her as a live action princess and the way she just talked in her hands and, and her entire mannerisms and, and body language. It, it was just captivating to watch. <laughs> I, I was just sitting there. I'm like, this, this movie is amazing. Look at her. She's, she's a Disney princess in real life. What is this insanity? <laughs> so I, I would highly recommend of it, it. This is, this is one of those things where I, there's no way I would have watched this on my own ever ever unless i had children and and man i was wrong <laughs> it is worth the viewing i i it was it was fascinating so yes enchanted amy adams thumbs up out of my book there you go bing little wink little sparkle in the eye bing well i started watching haunting of hill house oh yeah i've been meaning to watch that too uh i i got it recommended to me by both uh, a couple of friends and a couple of coworkers and it's uh, it was october so i figured hey why not Wow, that show is creepy as all get out, man. I'm kind of fascinated with it because, um, like, so we watched the the Robert Weiss 63 version of it all that long ago, which was really good. And it made me kind of hate watch the the Liam Neeson, John, De, John DeBont, whatever that guy, that that really awful version. And man, was that a car wreck. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a fun car wreck, I, I will say. But it, it was a car wreck. That was not a good movie. It was it was fun to hate on it. I'll, I'll give it that. Um, and I, w- I want to watch that. I, I also want to read the book, you know, the, the Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. That like I, I'm I don't know. That might happen sometime soon, but I've I've got some other books in the queue that I have to read because I got something off my list that uh, if I try to get it again, it'll take weeks, months even. So I I have to read it. Well, I I am four episodes in and it is uh, supremely creepy and unsettling. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to try to talk the wife into that. But no spoilers. I I do want to see it. It's it's definitely mine. Nope. No spoilers for me either because I'm only four episodes in. All right. Well, speaking of Netflix shows that... If this gets canceled, I'm, I'm going to be completely heartbroken. But uh, Gina and I are now almost done. We've got four episodes left of The Umbrella Academy. And uh, that show is really good. I told you. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so we read the comic book, too. So I, I guess I'm crossing over with reading. And I got to say, I think the TV show is better, mainly because... I do like the world building in the comic book a little bit better because it's a little bit more of a comic booky world. That's interesting if you've read comics and spy genre stuff and a, a couple other things because there's a lot of cute references. The simple fact of the matter is the initial series, which is roughly the plot of season one, give or take, it only has six issues to tell that story. And I, I'm starting to think if you have more main characters than you do issues of comic book, you're probably going to n- do some characters not great justice. And that was certainly the thing like uh, what number three, Allison, Allison is not a great character in the book uh, in the comic book. Neither is Diego actually for that matter. Um, the two main ones are uh, number five and Luther are, are very well sketched out. So I, I like the the show because it really took its time to get into that. The, the show's sort of headspace and, and the character headspace and stuff. It was, it was very good. And it, it kept, the comic book's tone of being kind of like dark and goofy, 
you know, it made it, I don't know, more realistic and, and just better written, I would say, in general. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because it kept all the same beats, but they were able to expand on them. Like like Allison's story about being divorced and all that. That was so barely in the first arc. Like she gets a couple lines about it at best and then it just sort of is over. And yeah, well, I think, you know, eight to ten hours of television lets you c- explore the character space a bit more. I'm, I'm all for that. But but just to tell you the main difference between the world of the comic book and the world of the uh, of the show Luther in the comic book. Uh, he got horrifically injured on a mission on Mars. And so his daddy attached his body to the body of a Martian ape. And he literally has a Martian ape body in the comic book. Complete with a diaper that he wears at all times. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've seen that comic book's pretty screwed up. In that comic book, people see Luther out on the street and like people look at him because he's famous, but the fact that he's got a Martian ape body doesn't kind of register. That's the kind of world it is. It's like, oh, hey, it's Luther. <laughs> he's like a celebrity. <laughs> I mean, truth be told, is that so far from reality these days? <laughs> I don't know. Man. Legitimately. Mar- Martian ape. I'm just saying. But yeah, no, I really, really liked it. We're, we're going to do like probably episode seven and eight of season two tonight. And yeah, season two is really good. It's... Uh, a lot of the, the characters that got a little bit shortchanged in the first season are getting a little bit more screen time this time around, which is nice. So, yeah. Thumbs up. Really like the Umbrella Academy. If, if Netflix does its thing and cancels it after two seasons, I if I wasn't getting my Netflix via my phone plan, I would probably disown it at this point. But we'll see what happens. I'm so tired of getting two seasons of shows I like, and then they end on cliffhangers. I can't do it anymore, Jonathan. I just can't. I can't commit. I understand. I understand. We are getting a season three of that, though. I think that's confirmed now, yeah? Last I checked, Netflix had not officially said anything, but they are beginning production of it, like, in a month or two. That's the last I read, which, given, was a right after we recorded last on a very cursory Google search. So I will stand corrected if... Because I barely, I, I, I barely did a Google search, so... Uh, well, I finally got a chance to watch The Boys season two. Nice! Wow. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people exploding in that show. <laughs> like wholesale explosion. Yeah. Wow. So spoiler alert, I'm going to say something, but uh, I kind of agree with, I, I have a boy's uh, like just tag on my Apple news. So I don't know where I read this, but somebody said Amazon, it's kind of a bad look when you base a character who, uh, in this case, Victoria, um, I forget the last name, but it's based off of a guy named Victor in the comic book series, who is a bad guy. Spoiler alert for season three, but oh well. And uh, it's kind of a bad look, Amazon, when you base that off of AOC, who, you know, kind of ruined your tax breaks in New York. You know, just just I'll throw that out there. I don't know anything about that, but I'll say this. Uh, well, well, Victoria, the the lady who's completely like AOC in in the comic books. It's oh yeah 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 I see yeah that. no she's a her character's name is Victor in the comic books. That's they gender swapped it for the show, but she is a that character is a bad guy. Like she will be a bad guy, guaranteed. So oh, I think they make that pretty abundantly clear, right? But I, I'm just saying it's a bad look. No, just the absolutely. way they did it. Yeah, yeah. So. S- wink, wink. So no sorry that you don't get one bajillion percent tax breaks anymore. Oh, but yeah, 
other than that, yeah, it was a really good show. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. It was really good. It was really, it was really, you know, you know what actually pissed me off more? Well, not more, but two, uh, they did a real like reset at the end of the season, you know? In what respect? People who had gotten, you know, kicked off the super team, got back on the super team, like no questions asked seemingly, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, for people who were considered wanted criminals for quite a while, just the fact that they were able to kind of like dodge that suddenly, it just, it seemed too cute. I don't know. And I think it ended up working though. Yeah. I don't know. It, how, how about this, where the characters were at the beginning of the season and where they were, or at the beginning of the, the show even. And then at the end of the season, like it, it felt like the, the, the whole thing just sort of like rebooted. Like they, they hadn't really done anything. I don't know. I'm not sure if, I mean, we'll see how season three pans out, but if the show ended here, it would just seem like, you know, and they lived happily ever after and nothing really happened. And yeah, I don't know. That was my take on it. I didn't like the end where everybody kind of was happy and went their separate ways and got all their jobs back and blah. And it was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. It seemed cheap to me, but then again, they could address it in season three because, you know, people being haunted by stuff they do that could come up. So we'll see. Well, season three on that one is 100% confirmed. Yes, it is. And Jansen Eccles is going to play Soldier Boy, which is the uh, the Captain America parody. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, and do you remember a long time ago when I was talking about the boys and uh, I talked about Herogasm? Do you remember that? Yes. They've confirmed Herogasm is going to happen in season three as well. Oh, with, no. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the very infamous scenes from the Herogasm uh miniseries was uh, soldier boy and Homelander sleep together. And it was basically so Homelander could mess with him uh, because soldier boy thought he was going to do it to like get into the team, much like starlight. And uh, yeah, they said that's not going to happen <laughs> in that, which yeah. Okay, good. But hero is still going to happen, which hero was messed up. That was, that was a messed up arc. We'll, we'll see how far they go with it. I don't know with that show. I'm thinking all the way. I don't know, man. <laughs> I read that they comic. They do not pull a lot of punches. Oh, yeah, they do. If you watch, oh god, the comic, man. You you have, go go by the first trade of the comic, and we can have another talk about this. <laughs> you think the show goes places? Oh my god, oh my god, oh the boys. Anyway, yeah, that's on my list of things that I've been meaning to read for years, and just for whatever reason, I never seem to come across a copy. All right, all right, so. <laughs> it was Halloween and nobody was doing, Oh, it was creepy on Halloween. Like I've never seen my neighborhood that dark. Everybody's porch lights were off like everybody's. And for some reason, Oregon's like a dark state, even though we have, we have street lights. Like somehow it's just, dark. it's probably all the trees, you know? Yeah. They, you see a lot less light reflection. Yeah. Yeah. But man, our street was just this inky pool of blackness. Cause everybody turned their lights off and I didn't see anybody out. Like I, I looked a couple times. And like the, the normal, we, we live across the street from a, a, a neighborhood that like really usually goes all out on Halloween and is really quite awesome. To be honest with you, my favorite is there are two places across the street that give out hot dogs to trick or treaters, which is amazing. And I love them for it. They just barbecue. It's great. That is kind of dope. That's, that's, that's a tradition I can get behind. They give out candy to the kids. They give out hot dogs to the adults walking the kids around if they want them or the kids, if they want them too. whatever. But yes, it's, it's amazing. Two places, Jonathan, two. Uh, I'm not even a big fan of hot dogs, but you know what? A free hot dog when you're walking around with your kids trick or treating is great. Oh man. There's nothing better than like the Costco hot dog. Mm hmm. 
But anyway, so instead of going out and doing stuff, we watched uh, Phantasm 1 and 2 on Halloween night. Did you do it with Eowyn? <laughs> I did one of them with Eowyn, yeah. Because I'd seen the first one, and I, I don't, uh, besides the intro, I don't remember anything terribly bad happening in it. How'd that go? Because those, those movies disturbed the hell out of me when I was young. You know, we were we were doing our MST3K thing, and she got actually kind of bored and started drawing after a while. So I I, I don't think it really registered with her. But uh, yeah, you know, we kind of we kind of made her do something else during the sexy bits in the graveyard at the in the intro of that. And uh, but uh, other than that, yeah. Oh man, oh man, those movies are great. Like the first one is so weird, just so weird, Jonathan. I don't even know how else to describe it. Those are bizarre movies. They really are. They, they they were always more unsettling than they were scary to me. Yeah. Well, okay, so the first one came out in, like, 79, and so I think the first one mostly predated the slasher renaissance of the 80s, you know, with, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th movies and the Halloweens. Not the first Halloween, but, you know, when the Halloween hit its stride. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, and just so the world building of it is so bizarre, and and the the tropes it follows are just so weird. It's like aliens from another dimension are stealing bodies and shrinking them to be slaves in this weird hell dimension planet. Alien demons, who knows? Fingers turn into flies. It's it's oh, it was bizarre. It was it was so good. The second movie was not nearly as good. It, it kind of fell into bad 80s movie tropes, which was kind of sad. But I, I will I will stick around because I'm committed, Jonathan. I've watched the first two. I might as well round out the entire collection, right? I might as well watch three through five. <laughs> I mean, you raise a good point. At this point, you are committed. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know when I'm going to do that because, uh, like I said, we've got, we've got a ton of movies that we're sitting on from the library. And I'm getting a ton more uh, the day after tomorrow. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Phantasm, Phantasm one, especially Phantasm one. I really liked, um, because even though it's acted terribly, the, the characters are surprisingly competent, competent in it, you know? Yeah. They just behave how normal people would. It's like, Oh, Hey, there's weirdness going on. Let's go grab some guns. And man, Oh my God, Jonathan, you can tell that the seventies, the late seventies, early eighties were a different time. So one of the main characters is a 13 year old kid who a drives around unescorted and unsupervised on a friggin' dirt bike. <laughs> that is so 70s B, 80s. drives his brother's car like there's this part where um his brother just gives him the keys to his car and it's like drive home i'm gonna go back and like totally try to shag this lady that i'm, I'm hanging out with and yeah just gives his 13 year old brother his car just hands it to him and and like no big deal and and there's a scene where like the brother's just driving and nobody nobody's even blinking about it you know <laughs> it's just like oh yeah the 13 year old driving like what and uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. And then like, you know, the 13 year old, like the brother comes home at one point and finds the younger brother, 13 year old, younger brother sleeping on the stairs with a loaded shotgun. And he just picks it up casually, empties out all the bullets and then wakes up his brother. Just different time, man. <laughs> I seem to remember there was a lot of sex in that movie. It's, it's mostly in the beginning in the first one. Isn't there like two main characters, if I recall, that, that get off that way? So in the beginning, there's there's a guy who looks like Stevie Nicks who gets offed like that. Later, uh, the the tall man is pretending to be a woman again and uh, gets. Uh, uh, yeah, there's like kind of a sexy time scene with the younger brother watching them creepily in the graveyard because like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, we just we just sort of like 
covered her face and then, yeah. And then there's like a boob later in the movie and she was drawing by that point because she didn't even care anymore because the movie is kind of bad, but it's kind of hilariously bad. It's been a long time. I'll have to rewatch that. Yeah, it's worth. <laughs> okay, I got one more thing. Uh, I watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries came out with the uh, the next six episodes. And nah, don't tell me anything. I need to watch them. Uh, yeah, it's kind of more of the same. Uh, I think the first batch was better overall. Like I was a little bit more intrigued by the stories. They had just had better stories. Although their their, their spoopy episode uh, of this batch was actually really good. So that was sort of the highlight of the next six. So uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll be interested in your opinions. All right. I'll let you know when I get there. Okay. Um, Mando restarted. Yes, it did. I watched it. <laughs> wow. Without going into any spoilers, season one made me a friggin' 11, 12-year-old kid again. It was amazing. And it was my Star Wars, and it was just jaw-droppingly good. I've already watched that episode three times. <laughs> it, it's everything that Star Wars can be, and so much more, and Timothy Oliphant needs his own spin-off series. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Come on! Space Western with him as the sheriff? Hell yeah! I don't know. I mean, I, th- this episode was actually particularly good. I, I did like it. I actually... What I liked most about it is we actually saw character development, which was nice. Yeah, I don't know. I... We need to have a more in-depth talk about that show, but yeah. How about this? My concern about the show that was not addressed in the first season, I am worried it will not get addressed in the second. So that's it. I'll leave it at that. The whole first episode was predicated off of a throwaway line that Obi-Wan said. It's just the right balance of, of fan service and, and new telling. I'm, like, not, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. not denying. I'm not denying that. It's a good show. That, I'm that, very It was a good happy. episode. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, that's that's all we'll say about Mando, and Discovery's back, and I started watching it. I got caught up. I've watched the first three now. That's all that's out right now, right? That is correct until Thursday. Right. Yeah. Whew. All right, I'm up to date on Discovery. Mm, nice. So what do you, what do you think about you know the jump to the future? So far, so good. The first episode was great. The second episode was kind of formulaic, but you know it was fine. And the third episode I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's I, it's not as good as season two's uh, second half. Yeah, I would agree. It's better than season one. Well, that's not hard. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it, a low like, bar, Jonathan. It, it's found its stride, and it knows where not to go. And who knows? Maybe everything that they're setting up right now is is you know set up for an amazing second half of the season, right? Yeah, my only my only worry is the thing I like about Star Trek is just hopeful future and. I, I I'm worrying they're they're getting back on their season one laurels where they were you know the show was not very hopeful it got kind of edgelordy and the future yeah, they have but see they're 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 tempering that with all the Starfleet stuff so yeah I'm, yeah I'm okay with yeah I, I I know we'll see we'll see how it shakes out I again I have some concerns but it, it'll they'll either be resolved or they won't by the end of the show and and I'll know then but I, yeah I'm not I'm saying that, that I don't understand where your concerns are coming from but I think that they've tempered it well enough that I don't think that's where they're going. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's where they're going. I'm just, there, there's part of me that's worried that that's where they're going. You know. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of Movies and TV, which means it's time to jump into video games. I played Among Us with people that I knew in a slower game, and it was much more entertaining, even though the servers were crappy that day and it was really hard to get into games. But uh, yeah, and I played, oh, and Awen played with all these adults, and she won twice, because... Because <laughs> who would have the audacity to accuse a child of murder? No! 
the best part. They totally spaced my daughter in the first game because she was. <laughs> they're like, she's being too quiet, and she was. She was not. I don't think she was an imposter that game. She was just kind of intimidated playing with adults, and then they spaced her. <laughs> And then they felt really bad about it, and she used that to her advantage in the next couple of games. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Especially when they realized that they spaced a nine-year-old <laughs> oh, for, no, for no reason, just because she was being quiet. <laughs> anyway, what have you been playing? Uh, what have I been playing? Uh, Among Us. Some Darksiders 3, um, that showed up on one of the, I can't remember which service it was even, but one of the services that I have got Darksiders 3 as a, uh, uh, as a game in the, uh, in the library. So I, I popped it in and I started it up and it's somewhere between Darksiders 1 and 2 in terms of what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, and so far so good. It's got a good solid combat and I like the, the main character uses a whip. I mean... The whole time I've been playing it, I'm sitting there. I'm like, why, why don't I have a Castlevania game? This this because Konami sucks and they don't want to make video games anymore. Yeah, apparently all they want to do is make pachinko machines. So you know, whatever Konami, sell your IPs so the rest of us can have them and just go make your pachinko machines. But uh, yeah, so there you go. Dark Side Three is is turning out to be fun so far. A buddy of mine installed Forza, and so I said, hey, it's been a while since I've played Forza, and then I got sucked back into the career mode in that, so I've been playing a lot of Forza 7. Nice. Uh, and then finally, there was a free-to-play RPG uh, that got released on PlayStation and PC and phone, which I thought was kind of a weird combo, too. And it, I've, I've played it on all three systems, and it works, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, and I can't believe the game is free. What game is this? Genshin Impact. Oh, that's the game that everybody says is a ripoff of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it looks really pretty. It's, it is a living anime, and there's a lot of things to like in there, and it's free, and you really can't beat that price. How do they monetize it, then? Uh, there's, like, loot boxes that you can get in there. Mm. And that's where all the best stuff is, unless you're willing to, you know, really super grind. But... I've got like 15 hours into the game so far, and I have not yet hit a spot where I, I've been needing a better weapon or that I've had to super grind yet. Hmm. Okay. So I've gotten my freedom out of it at this point. Like at this point, 15 hours in, I wouldn't have been upset if I spent 60 bucks on it. I got to be honest with you. What, what systems is it on? PlayStation, PC, and phone. Hmm. Oh, I'll and try it on PlayStation. Your, your save follows you around. Oh, which is really nice because I usually play on my PC, but I've, I've also been sitting in my bed and, and playing it uh, right before I go to sleep. And it's uh, it works really darn well on the phone. I'm really impressed. Hmm. All right. I'll give that one a go. Well, that brings us to the end of video games. Uh, what about books? Have you read anything? I have. Surprisingly, uh, I mentioned already I read an Umbrella Academy. So I've had this flirtation with the game Alien Isolation forever now. Yeah, I have too. I'm ashamed to say I haven't played it yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it gets really cheap on Alien Day, but I just, I know I, I, I can't play Aliens games. I get way, it's, it's too easy for me to fall into the headspace, and I, I, I get so freaked out I can't play them. Like, I, I literally, like, adrenaline, <laughs> I just I just can't. I just, I can't do it, you know? And, like, every Aliens Day, that, that stupid game's like $3, and I'm like, I should just buy it. And, and I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I think it's for free on a lot of the services. 
Yeah. So I realized I'm just I'm never I'm never actually going to play that game. But I found out they made a novelization of it, and wouldn't you know they had it at the library. So I'm like, cool. And it your was, library, surely not. Yeah, and it was it was pretty good. I I, I just finished it today, actually. Uh, you know, it was an easy read, and uh, it went through all the missions in the game. And thankfully, the as the narrative wore on, the whole thing of her sneaking around. They played it up in the beginning, and then she did less and less of it as the narrative went on because it got kind of boring pretty quick. Um, and they interspaced it with, like, uh, Amanda's life story, which I don't know if that was in the video game. Most of the playthroughs I've watched of it, I haven't seen that. But, you know, it talked about, you know, like, it, it flashed all the way back to when her mom took off on the Nostromo. and oh, wow. and Yeah, yeah. And it, it talked about her whole life. want to play it. Well, I don't think the the video game does that. I think this this was for the novelization to sort of pad out the story. Well, I'll tell you because it's on Xbox Game Pass, which I am a customer of, and I just hit install. So we're, while we're sitting here talking, thirty four gigabytes are going to install, and then I'll let you know. Well, there you go. But uh, yeah, no, the book the book was pretty good. It was a fun. It was a quick read. It was fun, and I enjoyed it. And yeah, it, it was a good idea, like putting in her personal life uh, in between segments of of the actual video game because yeah probably would have been really dull <laughs> if they hadn't done that well I'll let you know how it is I'll let you know how it is other than that i bought a uh a, a product off of the dms guild called ancestry and culture an alternative to race in fifth edition and uh i liked what the guy did but i don't think he took it far enough so i've been i've been kind of mulling over homebrewing that one a little bit but yeah it basically what it basically does is it basically removes sub races from all the various D&D races and then everybody can kind of pick whatever sub race they want. And so if you want to do the classic thing of I'm a human, but I was raised by dwarves, then you have your human racials and then you get the dwarf like sub race racials because you learned how to like, you know, look at stone cutting and all that nonsense from the dwarves that you chilled with when you grew up. And like I said, Thought it was a neat idea, but I don't think it went far enough. But yeah, it was a good product. It was five bucks. You know, whatever. Getting away from that stupid biological determinism thing in Dungeons and Dragons is probably a good thing. I'm okay with that. All right, well, let's move on to some board games. You and I continued to play Rally Man. I think we're on our, like, what, third or fourth game now? Yeah, yeah. My buddy wants to get in on it. I feel really bad because he mentioned it, like, right after we started the last game. And I'm like, dude, we are we are not going to be done with this game for, like, a week. <laughs> That, that last game was exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, that game Gio finally really screwed me. Yeah, that that game finally clicked with me, Jonathan. You know, you know how Gina figured out how to screw you. She learned it by watching you, Jonathan, because you did that to me earlier in the game, and I <laughs> bitched about it a ton, a ton. Did I bitch about it? Why are you mad, bro? I, be, because you made me, you forced me to skip a turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, that came back to haunt me this game, too. <laughs> and that's how she pulled out the win. Yeah. Yeah, no, all, all of a sudden, like, it clicked for me, and I started talking to to, to my wife about, like, oh, yeah, like, you, you can totally do all these weird shenanigans, and, and there's always a way you can do th- certain things. And, and we started, like, really talking about it, and yeah. And then she came to me, and she's like, I think I can pull ahead of Jonathan this turn. And I'm like, do it. Screw him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really can't be mad. I would have said I would have done the same thing. You did do the same thing. You did, Jonathan. There's no water. Yeah, I just took my turn. I just took my turn. And it's <laughs> it's going to get gross this turn, too, because we're all clumped up in these this series of corners. Yes. Have you been playing anything else? 
Uh, yeah, a couple things. Uh, got a couple games of Marvel United in, getting ready for today's deep dive, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. Uh, and then I had a night uh, where everybody was gone, and so I sat and played uh, Witches of the Revolution, which plays single player really well. And that's, uh, if you remember, something I picked up at... Uh, that's Atlas Games, right? Yeah, it's Atlas. I picked that up at uh, Gen Con, not last year, but 18, 2018. Uh, got in a game of Starcadia Quest with the kids, and that was really fun. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. I just, I, the one I want to talk about is Marvel United, but we'll be talking about that real soon. Yes. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means, of course, it's time for a quick break, but when we return, it'll be time for Wisdom of Crowd. That's good. I need to go get more coffee. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And, of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And it is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our segment where we talk about all of the latest in tabletop news. Robert, you've got a couple of Ds on <laughs> no no i said throw my my thing says throw two d's on my name because i'm about to give you a double dose of watsy news sir <laughs> like upgrade I mean, all i saw was d's on the the thing so go i i, I just i just watched idiocracy yeah upgrade for a double dose <laughs> <laughs> yeah two quick stories wizards of the coast has suspended all in-store play until january of 2021 well, there's a surprise. Didn't see that one coming. Didn't see that one coming either. Uh, and then uh, Tasha's uh, Cauldron of Everything will have a shipping delay outside of North America. Doesn't really affect me and most of our listenership if our little mappy thingy is correct. But yes, if you're outside of North America, you're going to get a little late. Sorry about that. We've talked about Descent on the show quite a bit. And, um, you know, the the fantastic version 2.0, which was was widely received and enjoyed and even got a late stage app in the game and then of course version 3.0 in spirit only star wars imperial assault which also got an app well that has all transformed into a true sequel not a 3.0 descent legends of the dark which will be an app driven uh game from fantasy flight similar to some of their other app driven games like Mansions of Madness and Lord of the Rings. Nice. So this is coming from designers Kara Centel Dunk and Nathan Hajek. 
It looks really friggin' good, actually. Like the art looks amazing, the box looks amazing. This looks so, like so does it cut out the uh, the game master player that the previous editions have had with the app? Yeah, that now moves to the app, which I think is great because then it becomes a true co op experience, which I I love. Yeah, I like that. I may have to get that. I've really wanted to get Magic's Madness for a couple of years now, but I, I got in on it so late. Like the uh, the catch up seems a little daunting, and I'm I'm you know that completionist streak in me is is it, it's there. But but with this firing up, uh, yeah, that might be now's the time to grab it. Yeah, yeah. And they like they've my... got you know this is interesting. This will be the fourth app based game that they've made. The the two for uh, Imperial Assault and Descent. You know, I count them because they, I'm sure they learned something from it. But really, this will be the third from the ground up app based game after Mansions of Madness and Lord of the Rings. And I'm excited. Because it looks like they've really taken some good lessons. Like, one of my big problems with the original Descent was the fatigue system. Um, because you'd have to basically skip a turn to rest and heal. And that really just, I don't know, I wasn't a big fan. It just felt like you were throwing a turn away and it took you out of play. And this, they've, they've rejiggered the whole thing to be um, more modern and now uses a series of double-sided cards. So the cards will build up fatigue, but you don't skip a turn. You're just flipping cards to clear fatigue. And and perhaps exposing a new skill or an, uh, an ability. I don't know. Take a look. Take a look online. They're, they're, they're only just now starting to release information on it. It's expected in Q2 of 2021. So we've got some time. Is there an there. MSRP yet? That's a really good question, Robert. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Throwing those hardball questions to you. Is this the part where you tell me it's a nasty question? And you get up and walk away. Oh, no. No, this is the part where I do my homework like a normal human being and then give you the answer. Mm, 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 mm. Well, she ain't going to be cheap. Hit me. But let me ask you this. When you see the things that are in there, so we've got um, 3D cardstock scenery, Mm -hmm. many a mini. Mm -hmm. Sleeves are included to help you uh, utilize both sides of the cards. Right. The app. Okay boards of course and you get a metric ton of of minis in there actually including a um including a couple of very large boss characters what what do you think cut to the jays john i asked you i i didn't want to throw it out there 174.95 whoa yeah 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 46 wow. pieces of 3d terrain 40 stunning hero and mini uh and monster miniatures to draw you into the game they say i'm looking at the official website now yeah, it's no joke, man. <laughs> Are they trying to compete with Gloomhaven here? Gosh. I, don't know, it, it, I mean, I will say this. When when looking at the number of items in that box, I see why the price is what it is. I get it. But, wow, it doesn't make it any easier. Well, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how much content's actually in the box. Because, like, if you can play... Because it... it <sighs> One of the problems with Old Descent was like the, the there was the basic game that was just the dungeon crawl, and then they released like the campaign expansions later, and you kind of like that was kind of the game. That's like what the game became. And so if they if you're crossing the mojo, you know, and you're getting both things at one go, I could see it. It's still just like, dang, wow, that is a big box. That that is a pizza cake. Holy crap! Wow. I mean, you know, Fantasy Flight's built up a lot of goodwill with me because. Imperial Assault and uh, Journey in the Dark and all, all all those games have been phenomenal. So I, I've got to say I'm willing to follow them down this road. And honestly, with the app, that really makes me happy. I don't want an overlord. 
<laughs> That's true. I like enjoying my friends around the table, not loathing them for the bad decisions that they made. <laughs> That's very true. So the Critical Role crew has announced a new project they're working on called Darrington Press, uh, which is going to be releasing games of all sorts. And they have announced their 2021 slate of games coming in first quarter. Their very first game, Ukatoa, a battle for life and death on the high Lucidian seas. This flagship title from Darrington Press is a tactical game of semi-cooperative card play as factions of sailors vie to be the last claimed by the raging sea leviathan Ukatoa. As the ship slowly falls into the ocean, you have to run, push, and sacrifice others to win. Fans of Critical Role know Ukatoa, which I'm probably not saying right because I don't watch the show. Sorry about that, people. As the ex-patron of the Warlock Fjord, who could say whether these tales hold any truth, Fjord isn't telling. The game is suitable for three to five players, ages 12 and up, and each game should run about 30 to 45 minutes. And of course, there's a very cool miniature of Ukatoa in the box, which... uh, that description kind of reminds me of that uh, that that uh, that bar brawler game that you had that we played ages ago. Oh, where you're, um, where you're trying to get the dragon cup. and flagon. Yes, dragon yeah. and flagon. Yeah, it kind of gave me that vibe. Just kind of looking at it, except you know, pirates trying to push each other into the mouth of a of a <laughs> of a kraken, basically. Next up in Q2 is Critical Role Adventures, uh, which is. They're calling it a cooperative legacy light campaign game and has a unique narrative mechanic for social and combat encounters, luring you back for session after session. And it's basically, from the sound of it, it's based off the first season of Critical Role. Um, But yeah, it's going to be like a a legacy game. So yeah, their first two releases, not role-playing games, which I found interesting. Uh, They fixed that with uh, their Q3. Syndicult. An original modern magic role-playing game designed by Matthew Mercer in which mob families jealously guard secrets and battle it out for power on the city streets. Featuring a simple storytelling dice mechanic, it is a low magic world where all bets are off. So, yeah, The Godfather, but with wizards. I could get behind that. I like it. Their Q4 release is Guardians of Matrimonia. Fight monsters, save the party. Guardians of Matrimonia is a cooperative card game where players have pre-built decks that are pitted against a deck of monsters, a.k.a. party crashers. If your deck runs out, everyone loses. But if you battle your way through the entire party crasher deck, everybody wins. So, yeah, kind of reminds me of, I don't know what it reminds me of, to be honest with you. So, like Smash Up, I guess, because you get pre-built decks, but then you're, you're fighting a, a AI deck in the center. What's that remind me of? It was that snark, snarking like stuff. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of a bunch of stuff. But anyway, yeah, an ambitious first year for uh, the Critical Role crew. They have some stills up for their first game, uh, Ukatoa, and it looks really pretty. Like the the box has got some good art. It's 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 a bang up production. So there you go. I think that link I have in the notes, you can you can look at it. I think it has some pictures of their first game in there. I'll take a look. I'll take a look. Well, guess what we haven't talked about this episode yet so many things jonathan i i don't have any imagination today let me just tell me dune watch is back baby oh oh my okay oh yes we are getting a brand new dune game and it's called dune imperium and it's coming from dire wolf digital oh weird those are the people that do uh like hero labs right yeah and this is a deck building worker placement board game Uh, these are the folks that did clank as well all right, all right. And this is uh, based on the cinematic Dune film, the new Dune film, 
rather than the 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 book specifically. So keep that in mind. Which I remember the last time we talked about the Dune film, you you said, "Oh, it's probably going to get delayed." And then like the literally the day after we recorded, it got delayed until like next I mean, year. Look, I'm not a soothsayer when I say something like that. That's that's not reading tea leaves. That's just stating the obvious. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this game's coming out in Q1 2001. I love the fact that it's deck building worker placement. Those are two of my favorite mechanics. So I'm really excited. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, the game itself is going to be 50 bucks for the core game. But then they are releasing an upgrade pack that's 55 bucks, And that comes with a metric ton of minis and tokens and a bunch of other stuff. And bless them, Direwolf Digital, doing things old school, doing things the right way, supporting the FLGS. There is a specific promo card incentive it's a special version of jessica of arrakis the benny jesserit i i know who she is i read the book well they separate it because uh, uh, you can also get jessica of uh house atreides uh okay that makes sense so there you go pre-orders just opened up on october 29th call your flgs as i'm going to do tomorrow and pre-order this bad boy and if you are so inclined get the deluxe upgrade pack to be more specific, the upgrade pack comes with 65 beautifully sculpted miniature figures and a hefty coin to bestow upon the first player. That's quote directly from their website. So there you go. Dune Imperium. And go ahead and Google this real quick, Robert. Tell me that that uh, cover is not one of the prettiest covers you've ever seen. I'll have to look at it later. Maybe at the same time you're looking at Ukatoa, jerk. Spell Ukatoa. Uh, just click on the link in the thing. It's They have pictures in there. <sighs> Ew, that's a real pretty box, yeah. Ah, that, that reminds me of the art from uh, Nemo's War. Mm, yeah. That is a pretty box cover. Yeah, There's isn't it gorgeous? Yeah, it's good isn't stuff. gorgeous? So there you go. Dune Watch, now 2021. Uh, Steam Forge Games uh, has been... Uh, is releasing a series of box set called Epic Encounters. These are box sets of themed encounters for fantasy gaming. So, you know, D&D. Out right now, or it should be out right now, is the Shrine of the Kobold Queen, which is an MSRP of 50 bucks, and the Lair of the Red Dragon, which is also an MSRP of 50 bucks. Wave 2, which should be out in November, is Hall of the Orc King, and the Caverns of the Frost Giant. And Wave 3, which will be out in January, is Village of the Goblin Chief and Swamp of the Hydra. Each of the box sets that come with a lot of minis, so the Kobolds, Goblins, and Orcs come with 20 minis. And if you look at any of the links I've provided, I think you would particularly like the Orc one because the Orcs come riding bears. <laughs> which I mean, is I'm awesome. Down. It's awesome. Uh, the dragon miniature uh, is just a big dragon. Same with the Hydra. And then the, but they also all come with uh, tokens for the encounter, uh, a battle mat. So, you know, like it'll have a cave or a setup on it and a adventure book, which is probably just like an idea for an adventure because I, it is not system related, but Steamforge games makes good minis and the minis look super sweet. So yeah, if you need a pile of kobolds, orcs or goblins or a big pretty dragon Jeez, man, frost the last giant. thing i need right now is a pile of additional minis in my house good lord i think there's more plastic in here than there are humans is that a really a problem jonathan for me no but i have to listen to my wife complain about it daily mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but this is for fantasy gaming not for bo- for for board games so but check it out the minis are real pretty 
Ray will like it. The, the, they ride bears, Jonathan. The orcs ride I bears. I mean, you've got me at bears. You've got me at minis. Who am I kidding? <laughs> I have no self-control. You know this. <laughs> you used to be my dealer, man. Yeah, I did used to be your dealer. Don't hate the player. Hate the game, Jonathan. <laughs> I do. I hate both. I hate everything. <laughs> That brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment, which, of course, means it is now time for us to dive deep. Because it's a submarine. You see what I did there? Mm -hmm. Into our No Time to Bond segment. Welcome to part 21 of our ever-expanding, slightly never-ending series, No Time to Bond, where we are watching all of the 007 movies and some special bonuses in order of their release date. Now, we are on the 19th film of the series. We're turning our way back machine to the end of the 20th century, 1999, where we were all partying like Prince proclaimed. Robert, what have we watched? We watched The World Is Not Enough, uh, made for $135 million. It brought in $361 million. Directed by Michael Apted. Apted? A-P-T-E-D. I'll go with Apted. Sounds correct. Who directed... What did he direct? That's his television work. That's his documentaries. What about his films? There we go. Let's see. What did he, what did he direct? What did he direct? Oh, he did the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, the Coal Miner's Voyage Daughter. The Dawn Treader. Gorillas in the Mist with the Supreme Oh, he did Weavers. Chasing Mavericks. It was a surfing movie, right? <laughs> nice. Enigma in 2001. There you go. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, there you go. So, big time director. This was the final film. Oh, he did Extreme Measures with uh, uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Hugh Grant. There you go. I had no idea he did that. Yeah. Oh, this... my God, he did now. <laughs> Sadly, this is the final film of Desmond Llewellyn as Q. He even the, so they kind of like set up his character for retirement in this movie. Yeah, and I he, know it's creepy when you know the story that what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the funny part is like, he was looking pretty old. Like I was wondering when he was going to like retire, but then he didn't die of old age. No, he died in a car accident. <laughs> so come, it was shortly after this movie came out, right? If I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. A couple, a couple uh, shortly after the premiere. So yeah. And uh, on the Wikipedia article, there is a fun breakdown of the phrase, the world is not enough, which we know from On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the Bond family credo, which is truly actually the Bond family credo. Uh, there is a nobleman in uh, England whose last name is Bond, and that is indeed their family credo. Although, according to the internet, it is a less elegant translation of the Latin and it's meant to be more pious such as like heavenly matters are superior to terrestrial possessions or something. But the direct translation is Otis not Orbis non sufficit. The world is not enough. And also was the motto of the Spanish King, Philip II. Where do you want to begin, Jonathan? Well, let's start at the pre uh, pre credit sequence as well. The long ass pre credit sequence. It the, went the on and on. Really good pre credit sequence. That's true. That's I true. I really enjoyed it. Like the first act of this movie is solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. All right, well, the pre credit sequence. This is one of the best. This is up there with the. Uh, I'd say this is in the top five pre credit sequences. Yeah. Well, it, so originally it was supposed to end when he escapes from that office, but like it. They didn't like how it was jiving, so they threw in the whole boat chase and whatnot into the beginning of it because it felt like a pre-credit sequence, I guess, which I could agree with. But yeah, the the, the goofy boat chase. Choice. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, that good boat chase was the, that boat chase was goofy because 
It's a rocket-powered submersible boat that didn't have a windscreen. I never said it wasn't goofy. Damn if it wasn't fun. <laughs> That's true. And That's it true. beats the hell out of the sawing helicopters. <laughs> Which still frustrate and annoy me to no end. It's not the most goofy thing we've seen in a Bond movie, so I'll forgive it. I don't know. So I remember when I watched this one in the theaters and uh, even on my repeat viewing a decade ago, I remember really disliking it. And I don't know why, but it aged better than uh, than it did on its initial get go. I actually liked it better this time around. Not that it wasn't one of the weaker ones, because it because it, it is. Does this give hope for die another day? <laughs> no, no, no. We are clearly on the road for die another day right now, but we're just starting that that downgrade into, into look die i'll, I'll say this is is this the weakest of the brosnan movies so far absolutely yeah that being said it's really enjoyable it's yeah. not in, it's not perfect though and there are some serious serious flaws one of them being the pacing in the third act yeah like the the, the movie kind of just trips over itself and goes <sighs> and then forgets to inhale again for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. But but I don't know. I think I think the most disappointing part of the movie is all the the promise with the dialogue from Goldeneye. They keep just forgetting about because M as this as Broslin series has gone on is getting more and more smarky, you know. And the movie's getting getting back to that like goofiness of of. There, there's little sparks of it, but they're not willing to commit. And, and yeah. that's the most frustrating part of it is that they they aren't willing to commit. Like there's a spark of it with M where she she basically says, you know, this is your fault because you won't keep your pants on. Yeah. Um, there's another spark of it with a, a, a little exchange between Money and Penny and Bond where Money Penny is clearly in control of this uh, entire thing. And it's it's amazing. I thought it was really clever. And then they just go back to their old shenanigans. And it, it's a real pity. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It's, I mean, there's not a lot to really say about the movie. Uh, it's it's basically oddly like a rehash of uh, Goldfinger, like I was telling you about. You know, it is. that's fair. E- evil supervillain decides to irradiate something. To it's, it's like part Goldfinger, part um, not Spy Who Loved Me. Maybe it is. No, it's not Spy Who Loved Me. What's the, the the one where they they do the rock climbing? The rock climbing. Yeah, you remember they go up the side of the mountain. It's one of the the. Oh, the one in Italy. Oh, uh, uh, was that for your eyes only? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird because the entire, um, segment with Bond's Russian friend, uh, was it Zukovsky? Yeah. Like that just, the way he shows up with a speedboat and a bunch of dudes with machine guns, I'm like, wow, okay, that's straight out of, uh. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And, and then the, the, the submarine segments were straight out of, um, Spy Who Loved Me, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. And so it's really funny because it's like, the whole movie's constructed out of these other Bond moments and Bond plot points, and then they, they remix it together. And and the worst part about it, and the biggest sin that the movie commits, in my opinion, is that the the villain, who could have been something interesting and special, is just completely underdeveloped and is barely in the movie, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah, Electra when she does her face turn. <laughs> well, not only that, but the, the, the Renard, the Robert Carlyle. Yeah, yeah. Who can't quite shake his Scottish accent, no matter how hard he tries. <laughs> yeah, I, it was nice that they had a female villain in this one, and she was actually kind of competent. 
And uh, I remember when I watched the movie initially, uh, when he kills her, it's pretty cold blooded. Well, and it's in front of M. And I thought that was my favorite scene of the movie because it gives M a new uh, outlook on him as a character. No, no, he did it upstairs. She wasn't there. I didn't think she was there. She walks right in. At, oh, she walks in right after. The, yeah. the gunshot happens. She walks in and she sees the reaction and, and what he does afterwards. And the look on her face tells you that she's rethinking him as a, as a, a, a character. Yeah. Yeah. I, of all of the people that Bond has just like straight murdered, which that list is actually oddly small. Uh, like uh, Roger Moore did it once when he shot the guy in the underground city, kind of just out of nowhere. He's like, hey, I'm just going to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, Bond certainly hasn't just straight murdered somebody before. That was interesting. And yeah, you're right. The fact that M saw it and M like was kind of shocked that he did it, you know, and 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 that's the thing, too. Like if if he hadn't have done it, if he didn't do it right, then you would have been yelling at the screen. Why didn't he kill her? Like there, there's no reason not to. She was, you know, she was doing a madcap plan. It's it's just one of those things where. You know, like you, you watch movies like that and it's like, why didn't they just shoot them right there? Like they just should have. They're just going to cause more problems like this just needs to stop. And, you know, the fact that he just did it was just kind of surprising. I, I, I was really shocked when it happened. I thought she, he was going to like just knock her out or something like that. That would have been the safe bet. But he no, it just shoots her. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. No fight scene. No, nothing. Just shoots her. <laughs> and it's actually a really interesting scene, too, because. I think I, I texted you this like. This the Brosnan bond is interesting because when he goes into assassination mode, he gets a different facial expression. Yeah, it's really blank. And it's 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 a really powerful choice, I feel like. And he doesn't get that when he kills her. In fact, if anything, it's an emotional kill. And that actually makes it resonate more like it. It it makes it carry a, a stronger weight, not only as a scene, but as a plot point. No, that was that was some good stuff. The, the movie's really well shot, too. Like, there's a lot to like in this film. Yeah, but there's a couple of, uh, it's like, oh, hey, Bond's alive. Should we just go there to the caviar factory and, I don't know, shoot him? No, no. Send two helicopters let's, with uh, saw blades beneath Instead, them. why don't we put him in an overly, or an elaborate trap featuring an overly exotic death by helicopters with saws on them? <laughs> and it's like... Guys, Austin Powers had been out. The sequel had been out by now. Like, you know, it's it's really funny that you call Austin Powers in on this because the entire time I'm watching it, I'm watching the the actors, and and one of them is Robbie Coltrane, right? Who's a big guy, and so he's moving out of the way of the saw blades. And at one point, the saw blade cuts through the building, and you know, Robbie Coltrane and Sophie Marceau are sitting there watching the blade go by, and they're just like. They take a half step to the side and the thing goes by and they're like, okay, we're safe now. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking about Austin Powers the whole time. I'm like, how how does this scene make it in after an Austin Powers movie skewers you that way? Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Like, it, it's up there with, with trying to use the damn helicopter to chop him up in the last one. Like, it's just a silly, silly thing that just didn't need to be there. And it weakens the whole movie because it's so ridiculous. Mm, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, again, it, well, it's just the problem. Like they, they kept trying to double down on their bond even after, you know, they got just eviscerated by Austin Powers. And it's like, no, guys, you, you don't get to do that anymore. That's now that's resting on your laurels. It's a joke now. You need to stop doing that. And they're just like, no, no, we'll do it even more. And, and there we are for die another day. But that'll be a while from now. That'll be actually God, like a month and a half. 
<laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, die another day. We're coming for you, baby. Yeah. But yeah, overall, um, I don't know. It's kind of forgettable. I, Denise Richards is not great in this film. Oh, gosh, no. You know, I she wasn't as bad as I remembered. I remember her being atrocious and like incredibly miscast. And it was just there were there were some bad dialogue reads of hers. But overall, it was she was OK. It wasn't uh, it was great. pretty rough, man. It wasn't. It, it I've was, seen worse. You know, coming off of all the other Bond movies where you see these like supermodels that can't act, you know, at least she was like trying to act like there were a couple moments where she was acting. And I was like, you know, I've, I've seen worse out of these movies. Like, like the aforementioned uh, For Your Eyes Only with the lady, the crossbow lady who goes with them, who's just like reading her lines off of a card in front of her. Like, she has no emoting at all. You know, it's like, well, I'm going with you. They killed my father. <laughs> Did, didn't you just basically describe the entire backup cast of Moonraker? Yes. Yes, I did. God, would you remember how wooden they all were? Yes. <laughs> like, we are pretty humans. And now we will say our lines. Right, right. So Denise Richards was better than that. Like I had that frame of reference, so it was like okay. But then again, can't hold anything to the 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 ladies in the cast from like Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, Golden Eye. So yeah, missed opportunity. And God, her name Christmas. What was it Doctor Christmas Jones? Was that her yeah, name? Yeah, it's oh. just bad. There's just no good thing to say there. I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. Uh, after a lot of vagina and fat bastard and all that, don't do names like that anymore. You just can't. Yeah, it just doesn't just, work. It doesn't work anymore. It just looks really stupid. You can't. You can't give it a less stupid name and make it work. <laughs> it just. Uh, uh. Well, I will say this: there's a lot of good things in this movie. The score is freaking awesome again. David Arnold. Just powering through, bringing in the horns section. Yeah, I think Tomorrow Never Dies was better, was better, but this one's pretty good. Um, and the garbage intro song, and actually the whole intro credit scene was actually really. Now, when you say garbage, you don't mean it was a garbage intro song. No, it I was an intro song the by band. the band Garbage. Yeah, <laughs> just just clarifying. Yeah, no, that that song's great. I like that song a lot. Actually, I like Garbage. They, they're they're a fan favorite of mine. Shirley no, Manson. absolutely. Um, but Shirley Manson's voice, uh, being a little deeper kind of it's, she gets the same effect as Shirley Bassey in, in her early bond work. Yeah. And it totally works. And the, the whole intro sequence actually worked really, really well. Uh, the whole like looking at oil thing. Oh, the other thing that I really hated about this movie, I forgot about it. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mention it. So he gets injured at the beginning of the movie. He dislocates his collarbone, right? And it is such an action movie injury because it only bothers him when somebody like does something about it, you know, because they make it, they make it look like anytime he raises his arm, it's uncomfortable, but yet he spends action scenes hanging off of chains, outrunning explosions, doing all this stuff. But it's only when the villain presses on his shoulder in a very specific place, he goes, oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, oh, ow. And it's like, oh, that's a bad. And, and that's the point, like, it doesn't even come up enough that it's it, it even needed to be there, you know, because like it, it's supposed to be one of the pieces of evidence that Electra is is actually evil. That it's like he knew exactly where to touch, you know, where to stick me in the in the shoulder. But, you know, it's like but you could have just done that with the dialogue that he, he kept quoting. It, it was still pretty obvious. It, like he still had his suspicions of her well before that. Like it, it's just 
Ugh. It was it was a bad plot point. Don't do a- I hate action movie injuries where they get injured air quotes, but it only seems to bother them when it's plot relevant and then they're doing action stuff regardless for the rest of the movie. It's funny. If I was to summarize this film, it would be a greatest hits collection of Bond moments from other scripts uh, cobbled together into a mediocre film that is beyond competently directed with excellent action scenes and stupid hanging helicopter saws. Can can you guys just slow down there and, and stand there for a moment? I, I'm going to go ahead and bring in the saw now to terrify you. I'm going to need you to just not move to the left or right at it's all. It's an elaborate death Please. trap featuring an overly exotic death. Oh, it's a pity. Well, next up, Jonathan, we are going to pause our, our little thing and take a look back at Mr. Sean Connery's finest it be, work. It won't be time to die another day quite yet. No. No, we're we're gonna watch Zardoz, which I'm I'm excited about. <laughs> you think we're already at the end of the Brosnan era? I know, I know. Zardoz, I've never watched this film. It, it's funny because if you show me a still from the movie, I can identify it regularly. Oh yeah, no, I've seen enough of it, I can identify. But it. I've I've never watched it from start to finish. Not neither have I. Pampers and chest hair, baby. Pampers and chest hair. That's that's what's in our future. Thank you, Washington County Cooperative Library Services. Because I have that waiting for me right now. It's so good. I'm going to have to spend money on this. <laughs> you bastard. Sucker. I'm going to have to spend three American dollars on this. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Is there any fitting tribute for Mr. Sean Connery than spending $3 on his garbage, his dumpster fire of a film? Sadly, Zardoz probably still carrying a better Rotten Tomato score than part of the Bond franchise, so I don't know. Let's see if anybody's made a list of Rotten Tomato scores. Oh, here we go. 26 Bond movies ranked by the Tomato Meter. Tomato Meter. Tomato Meter. Tomato Meter. There are a whopping one, two, three, four... There are four Bond movies, according to the Tomato Meter, of which World is Not Enough is the first one to crawl over the 46% that Zardoz currently holds. Oh, what are the what are the weaker ones? Do tell. Uh, 1967's Casino Royale, sitting at a whopping 25%. That's a, that's a parody starting Peter Sellers, which we did not watch. Uh, 1985's View to a Kill, 38%. I thought that that was better than most of the other ones, but whatever. You you just love walking. It's not a great movie. Man with the Golden Gun, 41%. That's weird. Octopussy, 43%. I'll buy that. And then we squeak over it. And here's a shocker for you. Die Another Day, sitting at 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. 5% over the film that we just watched, World is Not Enough. I'm what? curious to see how that holds up. I'm, I'm, for God's sakes, Moonraker is above it. I I have no response to that. Die Another Day is so racist. Like, it's awful. <laughs> it has no business being that racist in this in that time frame. License to Kill, number 10, 78% positive reviews. People have, yeah, I couldn't disagree more with that. There, there are some rose-colored glasses going on right there. Let's move on. Here's we'll, the interesting thing. Oh. License to Kill, better reviews than Living Daylights, which is the far superior film. Agreed. 
Agreed. So allow me to be the first to say that the tomato meter is inherently flawed and wrong. <laughs> Good God, man. From Russia with Love, number four at 95%. That's a hugely compromised film that has some serious issues. Uh, again, I, I think there's a lot of rose colored glasses and nostalgia tied up in a lot of that stuff. Yeah, Goldfinger, 99%. I'm going with a solid no on that. Uh, all right, well. So we'll go ahead and put the tomato meter and uh, <laughs> this very middling, middle-of-the-road Bond movie behind us. Uh, join us in two weeks when we visit Zardoz. And we pour one out for pour Sean one Connery. Out for our man, Sean. And we'll learn all about the Eternals and the Brutals. A problematic dumpster fire of a movie. I think there is no better fitting tribute to the man. Man, I'm going to have to, like, drink some cough syrup or something before I watch this movie, I have a feeling. I'm going to take some Oregon edibles and have a good time. (laughs) All right. Well, man, that means that we're not going to get to uh, die another day until next year, I think. Yeah, fortunately. 99 is the end of November. Then uh, 100, we're not going to have time. No, and then we'll probably take the Christmas season off, so yeah. Going into 2021 full of, uh... God, I'd love to see if we could squeeze it in before, and then just do 2021 as the year of the... God, what's his name? I can't... I can see his face. Daniel Craig. Craig. Daniel Craig. Thank you. It's the year of the Craig. All right, well, speaking of years, it is now time for us to look at our Wayback Machine and look one year ago, pre-Rona... In our year in the life segment, where we look at what we deeped over a year ago, and we get to talk about it again. So, all the way back to episode seventy-four. Forgot my dice. Episode seventy-four. Does it have Ken? We reviewed. <laughs> we were talking about. St- <laughs> we were talking about Street Fighter, weren't we? Yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we uh, we played Star Trek Ascendancy, or you did? Oh God, that's so good. That is so good. We need to play that on tabletop. We do. There's a lot of things we need to play on tabletop. Yeah, but this is legitimately one of them. This, this, I would argue that this is in the top five things that we need to play on tabletop. And here's the problem. I can't play this regularly because it is a game that you need to invest huge amounts of time in. And yeah. ever since the Rona came around, I can't do that. I don't have people that come over anymore, you know? Well, you know, that is one nice thing about Tabletop Simulator. If we run out of time, we can save the board state and then come back to it later. Yes, very true. I I think we need to put this together. Well, we still need to do Fury of Dracula, although that kind of got put on pause because of uh, the, the Steam version coming out. I think it's out now, isn't it? I don't remember. I don't know. Let me look. I got Steam open. Anyway, other things we were talking about that episode. Dragon Slayer, uh, Dune, because of course we were. Yeah, baby. Dune Watch. Kingdoms of Warfare, the Kickstarter, I think, was going on at that time. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, apparently you had just watched. Wow, has it been a year since I watched that? Yeah. Wow, Uh, man. That's crazy. I had just watched Stephen King's Sleepwalkers because I don't remember why. Oh, wow. I watched, uh, I I think it was Ray suggested The Kid Who Would Be King, the uh, the King Arthur movie, which was surprisingly good. And, of course, we did watch Street Fighter. <laughs> that happened. Well, this is awkward. Fury of Dracula's planned release date is November. So I'm adding it to my wish list so I get a, a um, notice when it's ready. It's not out yet. 
Man, I love this game. I can't can't wait. I can't wait to play this. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment, uh, where I think, I mean, honestly, if you want to play Star Trek Ascendancy with us, let us know, because I think we need to put that together. I, I, we need to fast track that, and we need to get that rolling. Well, there's that other game we want to try on Tabletop Simulator. At least that's the plan. But we'll I'm see. all Star Trekked out right now, though. Because I'm 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 humming along with Discovery and I'm just in, I'm in that vibe. Plus we're doing the RPG, so I've got Star Trek on the brain right now. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, we we couldn't play Star Trek because uh, uh, the guys we we're playing with their sister got married over Zoom, and I watched it in an Adams Family costume because it was on Halloween. And it was fun. Modern. You weddings. guys look great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you guys looked absolutely great. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's break time, and when we return, we'll be deep diving into Marvel United. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And tonight we will be diving into Marvel United. Red Skull, Ultron, Taskmaster are attacking the city, each with their own evil scheme for destruction and domination. To stop them, superheroes like Captain America, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel are joining forces. In the end, will the combined efforts of these heroes be enough to save the world? In Marvel United, the players work together to stop the plans of an evil supervillain. They will use each hero's custom deck of powers and abilities, playing off the strengths of one another for added effect as they try to finish the missions and take out the villain before it's too late. They will battle in locations all around the city. In the end, either the city will be saved or the world will be doomed. Dun, dun, dun! All right, Jonathan, explain this one to me. All right, so uh, it all starts out with um, setup, and setup's really important to describe here because it's it's ultimately uh, a large portion of how the game plays. So, in the center of your board, you're going to have your mission guide, and your mission guide gets three things attached to it. And these cards are basically um, things that your heroes need to do to be able to advance the plot of the the tale. Right. So these are things like rescue civilians or take out minions and things like that. There's three of them. You can shuffle them up and put them down in any order. It doesn't really matter. Uh, And basically, as you start to do these things and and accomplish these goals, you will uh, slowly advance the plot of the game, allowing you to, uh, at one point, um, get basically more power and at another point actually start to attack the boss. So that goes in the center. Then you give it a boss character. You um, choose a villain from your deck. Uh, The base game comes with three villains. If you got in on the Kickstarter or are patient and don't mind shopping, there are a ton of villains coming out uh, in additional expansion packs. The The different villains basically have different gameplay elements. They're going to have different amounts of health and different ways that they attack, uh, as well as different ways that they can be attacked. Red Skull is the starting one. I would definitely suggest starting with Red Skull. He's the, the most straightforward of the villains in the, the starter box. He basically has a plot that he's trying to advance, and every time um, you flip a certain card or you do not accomplish a certain task, his plot will advance. And if he gets to a certain level on his track, then he wins. 
But uh, like I said, other villains will have different plots, but that always goes in the center of the table. Then in a surrounding ring, you place down six random locations. And the base game comes with more than six. I think it comes with nine or ten. So those locations are going to vary from uh, from game to game. And those locations will each have uh, a set of spots on them. And those spots are uh, going to be basically spots that both hostages and thugs can be placed within. And though they're, they're very, very finite. Uh, and this is going to become more important as the game goes on because... Uh, pretty much every turn you're going to have an opportunity to add to those spots in a certain spot and if you cannot add them they spill over to the spots to the left and right of your area and if you can't add them there then they start advancing the plot of the villain so a big part of this game is going to be managing the number of uh, thugs and hostages that are out on the board at any given time in any given location Each of those locations is going to get a mission card put on it, and those cards are going to be shuffled up and are based on what what villains are attacking you. Some of those are going to be uh, minions, like crossbones, you know, kind of minor minor villain characters that are going to be supporting the big bad. And some of them will just be um, basic states that you need to complete to be able to move forward. As you start to unlock those areas by completing the goals on those shuffled cards... Uh, those areas will then start to reveal uh, additional powers for you and your team. So the more work you do to, to liberate areas, the, the more you get out of it as a team. And at that point, you're going to be ready to play. Your villains start on one end of the uh, of the, the circle of cards, and the villain starts on the other, and you start taking your turns. And turns are pretty straightforward. The first thing you're going to do is add a master plan card to the storyline, and these are based on what villain you choose. Uh, and nothing good ever comes from those. After you resolve the effects from top to bottom, you move the villain, if they have movement listed on that that master plan card, clockwise the number of locations that's there, and then you're going to have a list of things on that card uh, that happen. And again, none of them are good. They're all based on the villain landing there. Uh, Once you've added any, any additional thugs or hostages to a location based, again, on those cards, uh, then it'll be the hero's turn. And the heroes are forming what's called a storyline. The storyline is going to be a series of cards that are played. The villain plays a card first, and then three hero actions will be played, and then the villain will play again. Play is pretty straightforward. You're going to have a deck of cards based on the hero that you've chosen. They are all different, um, and every hero has uh, unique actions and basic actions. Basic actions fall into three categories. You can move to adjacent locations. There's a punch icon, which indicates dealing damage. Uh, damage can be defeating a thug or removing health from a henchman or removing health from a villain after you've completed two of the main missions. There's a star icon that is considered a heroic action. Heroic actions are sometimes specific to a location based on the card that's been played on it, or a heroic action can be to rescue one of those civilian hostages that were, uh, were dispensed out onto the game earlier. And then there's a wild version of that that lets you choose between those three actions. Now, the neat thing is, after you place your card uh, down on the storyline, you get to resolve your actions and the actions of the card previous it. In a sense, you're getting a boost from the card played by the previous hero that went. And that becomes uh, an interesting part of, of you trying to figure out the puzzle of maximizing the actions that you take any given game because you're trying to work together with your other heroes while still getting things that you can get accomplished. Make sense so far? Yeah, it makes sense. 
after you play all your cards, um, bad things might happen. Uh, the villain might attack you. Your hero might be damaged. Yeah, then it, it rinses and repeats. You draw a card, you play a card, and you resolve your actions. And then the villain goes again at, on every third turn. And that is kind of the core gameplay loop there. It's not particularly deep. But in that, because this is an Eric Lang game, you know that there's going to be a ton of depth because of the way all these different little little engines uh, cooperate and work with each other. Sorry, I'm getting very, very distracted by a future question right now, which is to say I'm looking at minis right now. All right, so how, how is that rule book? Honestly, the rule book's pretty darn straightforward. Um, there is not a ton of rule book to begin with because it's it's a pretty straightforward setup and it's a pretty straightforward play. There were a couple of weird little things that we had to look for um, in terms of rule clarifications and we didn't find them listed necessarily well. We actually had to go online to find some clarifications. So I would say that the the rule book is, is competent to get you started, but lacks some of the depth that you need for some of the more unique rules, rules junctions that you might come to. Oh wow. It's only like 12 pages. Yeah. I said it is super, super straightforward. Sorry, I'm flipping through the rule book, just poking around. Solve actions. Yeah, it's all pretty simple. Yeah, it's really straightforward uh, as a game. W- what the name of the game here is variation. You you get completely different setups with each villain. You also get completely different action sets with each hero, and some of them are going to complement each other better than others. You also get a lot of variation because not all the same locations come out, and depending on how many. Uh, expansions that you've acquired for the game, you can get those those locations built up pretty thick, which means that you're going to have even more variation. Same with the same with the henchmen, and same with some of the plots that come out there. And that's that's really where the game really shines. It's because there's so many interconnecting systems that that uh, are supporting the main system, and all of those contain a variation point in them that every time you set it up, it feels fresh and different. And that's that's one of the things that this game does so damn well. Well, okay, so we were talking about it because I was getting sidetracked looking at the Kickstarter. It's a Simon game. So how are those minis, Jonathan? <laughs> They're friggin' beautiful. They're perfect in every way, shape, and form. They're little chibi versions of the Marvel characters, and the team that they had doing the art and the sculptures on this just nailed it. They nailed the living daylights out of it. Everybody is unique and interesting, and yet they all have that chibi look, but it never crosses the line and it always retains its marvelness, I guess would be the word I would use. Okay. How deep did you go in on this? Did you get Squirrel Girl? I did. So there were two things to set me over the edge. When they added Blade and when they added Jessica Jones, because that's my wife's name. So at that point, I was all in, and I went all in. But here's the thing. I've only gotten the core game so far. The core game got shipped separately, and then the, uh, the, the rest of the package will be coming sometime early next year. Oh, they got Howard the Duck. I forgot about that. Blade's the one that pushed me over the edge. I love Blade. <laughs> I love Squirrel Girl and She-Hulk, to be honest with you. Oh, no, they're great, too. Make no mistake. But Blade's the guy that pushed me over the edge. Well, no, I like She-Hulk and Squirrel Girl because their comics are goofy, and they're the type of humor I like. And they got Spider-Man 2099. That guy's brutal, man. Oh, and hey, we were just talking about Quicksilver last time. <laughs> you know what's cool about Spider-Man 2099? He doesn't have that, like, stickiness that, that Peter has on his fingertips. He literally has hooks on them. 
In, in one of the issues of the comic, he wakes up and he's like torn his bed off because his hooks came out while he was sleeping and he just tore his sheets up. But they like automatically pop in if he gets close to his body. <laughs> it's good times. That was a stupid comic and I loved it. So is there anything off in the execution of this one, Jonathan? No, it's really cool. So this is an interesting game. It comes from Spin Master, who's known for a lighter fare, and Simon, who's known for some heavier fare and the minis. And you really do get the best of both worlds because the game is hyper easy to teach and hyper accessible. That said, you get the Simon aspect as well because the production quality is higher than your traditional Spin Master game. And the minis are amazing. So, I mean, in terms of reasons to own this game, if you uh, are a Marvel fan, you're going to love this game. It plays really well. It makes you feel like heroes. It's got the co-op aspect of it way, way down. Like, it's all about building that superhero team. If you like a lighter co-op game, this game's for you. And if you love detailed minis that are going to be a blast to paint, this game's for you. I mean, this, this, it, this game really just speaks to everybody. It's not the deepest game on the block, but it knows that, and it does, it's not trying to be. What it's trying to be is a fun superhero team-up game, and in that respect, especially because of all the variation that you can introduce to it, this game just hums on all cylinders. It is supremely fun. All right, so I'm looking in the rulebook, and it says uh, it's for two to four players. What do you think is the ideal player count in that? Well, there is a single-player mode in there that they added. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a stretch goal. I saw. Yeah, I have not played the single player mode yet, so I can't speak to it. But I will say that the the way they balance things out uh, with extra characters is interesting and it works. I've played it with two, three and four and it's worked at at all player counts. Um, The more important aspect of it is that you are playing with people that are are good at communicating. Uh, Because unlike a game like Pandemic, I think this game does a better job at mitigating the alpha nerd. One person is not necessarily going to rule the roost in terms of decisions because everybody's got a piece of the puzzle and your your hand of cards is not public knowledge. So ultimately, you get some privacy in your decision, which I like. It's a good balance of table talk and cooperative nature with personal decision making that gives you a little bit of privacy so that you can make the decision uh, that might not be the decision the alpha nerd wants to make. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And the other aspect I really like about it, like I said, is just all the variation that's built in there. I mean, all these modules come together beautifully in, in terms of game elements, but because there's so much variation, you get a really fresh feeling every time you play. Is it going to be possible to like, extend it past four players? or? I think one of the expansions is five five or six i think oh, okay don't quote That's me cool. on that but i seem to recall it okay the ant-man figure is dope by the way because he's yeah on, he's on a quarter yeah he's on a quarter <laughs> it looks so friggin' good <laughs> all right jonathan so in summation uh tell us one last thing that maybe you haven't told us in this review yet this is the type of game i love the most because it's found the sweet spot between pleasing me as an adult gamer and pleasing my seven-year-old kids and giving us both something that we can hang our hat on and a gameplay system that's easy enough for us to both grasp, but coming together in a way that's challenging and tough and it's not preordained that the heroes will win. And I love it. I, I really enjoy the living daylights out of this game. 
Yeah, we've had to put this one off by a month because we realized it was Halloween. Yeah, and I've ended up playing it every single week since we put it off because we're having fun. There you go. And the kids really enjoy it, and I really enjoy it, and yeah, it's it's really fantastic. And I think the core game is not that expensive. Yeah, it's $35. Yeah, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anything this good for 35 bucks. How all in did you get? Did you get everything, by the way? Oh, yeah, I went all in. <laughs> Including the playmat and all that? Yeah, I mean, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? <laughs> nice. I, I see. That's the thing. I didn't back that many games recently, but when I back them, I tend to go for everything, like Foundations of Rome or Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Like those are, I don't even know how many games I've backed this year, but it doesn't feel like a, a, a ton. But the ones that I've done have been really expensive, so I kind of don't mind, you know. Mm. I mean, my shelves are overflowing. I have to be more moody and picky about what I bring in now, so I'm not just bringing in anything anymore. Well, that is Marvel United by Come On Games. Come on! <laughs> MSRP of 35 bucks. It says it's available at Target and you're elsewhere. Although it calls out Target on the website. Yeah, let me just say, hey, Eric Lang, you're awesome, man. Thank you so much for yet another epic game. And also, Andrea Chivarisio, Chiv- what? Chiarvesio. 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 Nice. And art by Edouard Guiton. I'm assuming he's French because that sounds French. <laughs> or maybe French Canadian. Either way, the art in this game is so good. So freaking good. Like, look at the little chibi Marvel dudes, man. Like, how can you not have fun playing this? Look at Captain America's portrait on the back of his cards. <laughs> I mean, he's so dead serious, but you just want to kiss him and hug him because he's adorable. He is adorbs. He's adorably serious. Also, did you see the Infinity Gauntlet expansion? Yes, I did. That comes oh with an Infinity God. Gauntlet. I'm so excited about that. It's ridiculous. Have you downloaded the Achievements booklet yet? No. I'm going to have to try that out. Here, I'll send it in Skype so you can actually print it. I'll have to get that printed out for the kids, too, because they, they, I can't tell you, man. Like This game has become a mainstay of the house. Everybody's having a good time. There you go. It's off their website. Neat. Yeah. Win a game in solo mode. Win a game with two, three, four players. Complete all mission cards. Deal the last damage with Scarlet Witch. Oh, it's for it's for everything. Oh, Play yeah, all War got, Machine special a effects. Bunch of expansion stuff in here. Yeah. Well, this would be fun for us to kind of chip away at. Yeah. And color, because you can color in the stuff. The kids could do that. Oh, it's been really, really tough not to try and carve away some time to paint these guys they're so good looking (laughs) all right well that brings us to the end of marvel united um which brings us to the end of our episode man 98 in the can yeah getting close to that ama yeah i'm really excited about that uh you've said that we've gotten some really good response in terms of questions so if you haven't yet or you've got some new ones get those submitted because time is a waste and we're going to be closing that up sooner rather than later at this point yeah, our, our buddy keeps like trying to dare himself to send us a question that says, uh, which one of you should be used as a drug mule on an international flight? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's And he's like, I- I'm wondering which one of you thinks you could pack more stuff in your colon. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, stay classy, buddy. Stay classy. I mean, definitely you, but I mean, <laughs> we don't know that. 
<laughs> we'll have to do experiments. <laughs> Some Mythbusters action. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. Discord and Facebook are definitely the most used, but we have others. And, of course, that leaves us with uh, just your final thoughts, Robert. Any of them this week? Ah, uh, man, I I want to talk about, like, Umbrella Academy soundtracks and all that. But, man, we're in, like... And Umbrella Academy's got a dope soundtrack. It does. We're, 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 we're the Schrodinger's cat in the box right now. Just... It's hard not to think about that right now because I know when I start editing this, it'll be over and that'll be it. Uh, Look, man, you and I both cast our votes. The rest is out of our hands. We, uh, you know, it's like I always tell you, if you don't like the way something turns out, then you got to stand up and do something about it. <sighs> anyway, mental, uh, some self-care people, regardless of what the outcome, make, make sure you take care of yourself a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, especially with the Rona dragging on into, uh, God, at this point, what, week or month eight? Yeah. Take some some mental stock about where you are. I know all of my friends are telling me the same thing. They're all kind of getting to the edge of the road. So take, take some self-care, take some mental care, and uh, yeah, just let us know how we can support you, even if it's just make more stupid sh- put it on the internet. Stuff, Jonathan, stupid stuff. Stupid shirt. Beep sound. Make the beep happen. <sighs> I hate you. Give me my PG thirteen for the day. No. Don't you make me go all full Sam Jackson because I will. Yeah, I, I, power of editing. I can just cut it out. <laughs> but what if it's in the middle? And cut. Yeah, I could just cut all that out. Yeah, just fine. segue from there, just right into the closing. No, so, that yeah, just closes out. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means there's only one last thing to say. Never before has it been more important than it is today, and that is, my friends, to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 